Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, the CEO, or as I sometimes say, the Chief Encouragement Officer of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. And you're listening to CMDA Matters, our weekly podcast recorded right here in our Bristol, Tennessee headquarters. Well, across the United States, for more than 25 years, we've been actively engaging to stop the legalization of assisted suicide and euthanasia. You've heard Dr. David Stevens, our CEO Emeritus, talk about it over the years on Christian Doctors Digest, as well as many articles that have been written in our quarterly magazine, formerly Today's Christian Doctor, and we now call it CMDA Today. And then there have been the many emails to our members over the years. CMDA's advocacy team is actively engaging in multiple states around the country to stop the onslaught of bills that are working their way through the various state legislative bodies. It's been such a long battle over the years, but we're not giving up because assisted suicide is ethically and morally inconsistent with good medicine and the healthcare professional's role as a healer. But what has happened in countries where assisted suicide and even medical termination is legal? I use the phrase medical termination, a term that we now prefer over euthanasia, because as I was reminded by our guest today, euthanasia literally means a good death. In today's episode, we are taking an in-depth and eye-opening look at our neighbors to the north in Canada, where assisted suicide was legalized back in 2016. The situation in Canada is without a doubt a wake-up call for us here in the United States. And our guest shares what it is like working as a Christian palliative care physician who faces the consequences of assisted suicide each and every single day as she interacts with patients. I'll admit it's a rather sobering conversation, but I think you need to hear it today. So let's jump right in and hear from Dr. Margaret Cottle. We want to welcome you today to CMDA Matters. And before I tell you about our special guest today, all the way from Canada and British Columbia, I wanted to set the stage for why we have invited Dr. Margaret Cottle to be with us and the subject that we've chosen today. With me today is uh, Dr. Jeff Barrows, our Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy. And I wanted Jeff just to explain to our listeners why at CMDA, with the help of Alliance Defending Freedom, we decided to sue the Department of Health in the state of California under the title of Bonta. Yeah, Mike, thanks. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad to be here and talk about this. I think it, first of all, is important for our members to get a little bit of background on what's been happening in California. In 2015, California passed the End of Life Options Act that, in essence, legalized assisted suicide. And initially, the state had put in place a 14-day waiting period and also, uh, fortunately, some significant protections for healthcare professionals that might not agree with participation in assisted suicide. But unfortunately, the state in the last year has revised that statute. They just passed an update to the End of Life Options Act earlier this year. Among the things that they did in this revision is to shorten the waiting period from 14 days 
down to 48 hours, which of course we were not at all happy about. But more importantly, all of the previous conscience freedoms protections that were in the law have been completely removed. And the way the law is written now, it forces our members, even if they conscientiously object to assisted suicide, it forces them to engage in three different actions surrounding assisted suicide. The first is that if a patient comes into their office and says that they would like to request assisted suicide, the law mandates that that physician document the date and the time of the request, and that automatically then begins the 48-hour clock that the patient has to wait. And so by that forcing of our members and, and other healthcare professionals, that causes them to be complicit with shortening down the waiting period. That's the first action. The second is that if they are unable to do and prescribe the medication for the assisted suicide, they must make an effective referral to a healthcare professional that they know will in fact prescribe the medication. So that is a second way that they become complicit with the evil of suicide. And the third action that they engage in is that they are forced to provide information to the patient on the assisted suicide and how it's gonna be carried out even though they will not be doing it. And again, even though they have a conscientious objection to it. So it's because of those new three actions that our members are going to be forced into engaging that we decided to file a lawsuit that's entitled, as you said, CMDA v. Bonta. Rob Bonta is the attorney general of the state. And we're very thankful to ADF as representing us in this case. Well, I suspect, as you do as well, that many of our listeners are not aware of those changes in California law. Certainly those who live in other states, in the Midwest, the East, maybe not aware. But we felt that uh, these were some egregious changes putting upon our members, forcing them to be complicit, as you've explained so well. Assisted suicide is legal in nine states, plus the District of Columbia. So it's not something unknown to us in the United States. But Our neighbors to the north have been dealing with assisted suicide for a number of years now, and one of our uh, CMDA friends, uh, who's a palliative care physician from Canada, uh, actually from British Columbia, is Dr. Margaret Cottle. She is a palliative care physician, a clinical assistant professor at the University of British Columbia, a faculty of medicine. She speaks internationally about end-of-life issues as well as palliative care. She's addressed members of the Canadian Parliament uh, back in 2006 as well as 2017. Her husband, Dr. Robin Cottle, is an ophthalmologist. The Cottles have two grown children and four wonderful grandchildren. So welcome to CMDA Matters today, uh, Dr. Cottle. Thank you very much for having me. Well, Margaret, could you tell our listeners just a little bit about your own history and how you became so intimately involved there in British Columbia in the battle against assisted suicide, as well as uh, medical termination? Yes, I think we need to be very clear about our terminology. We are talking about physicians, and I don't call us providers, as you saw from my article recently, that as, as professionals, that we are being asked to participate in or sanction the medical system 
killing one of our patients. And that is what is happening. So yes, we are dealing with that. I had a very good experience in medical school, but as you know, I graduated quite a long time ago and there was no palliative care at that time. There was no thought about anything in in terms of medical termination or assisted suicide. It was all about suicide prevention. And as I went through my medical career, I found out about palliative care after I'd been out of medical school for about 10 years and was so delighted to find a discipline that was interested in whole person care. It was something that I had felt was missing in medicine in general. And as you know, in palliative care, we talk about total pain, pain that involves the spiritual aspect, the social aspect, the psychological aspect, in addition to the physical aspect and how it's very hard to get one of those pains under control if the others are not addressed. One of my colleagues actually added bureaucratic pain to it as well (laughs) for the waiting lists that we have in Canada or for all the insurance mess that you have in the U.S. and other places. So I think this idea of total pain really and addressing the whole person as a Christian, that just made my soul just light up that this could be something that I could be involved in. In medical school, I used to get in trouble because when I was asked to present a patient, I would say, wow, this person actually is a Holocaust survivor. And my professor would roll his eyes and say, you know, just the facts, what's the blood pressure? What did you find on examination? And I felt intuitively that those other things were just as important in the health of this person. And so when I found palliative care, I was so excited It was in the early days of palliative care. So all I had was one month training from Dr. Mount and his team in Montreal. And then I went home to Halifax where we were living for my husband's residency. And I was on call the first weekend I was home. And one doctor was away accepting an award and the other one was out on his sailboat and I was it. So I learned as I went along, and it was so exciting in the beginning of palliative care to be able to bring something new to patients and to their families to say, we're here for you. We understand all about this. We have ways of helping you to stay comfortable, and we have ways of supporting your family, of dealing with all these different kinds of pain and integrating your care and even the spiritual part of it was an accepted part of medicine and that was just wonderful however there are hard cases in palliative care as in all of medicine and i would be untruthful if i didn't say that there were some times in my practice where i was just waiting for someone to to die you know there are there are cases where it's it's hard to control symptoms. Um, it's a lot better than when I started. Now we have many many more tools than when I started, but those hard cases caused people who had a different understanding of what it means to be a member of the human family to have different ideas about what would be a quote unquote solution. That's a great introduction, Dr. Cottle, to. Really, an important question I wanted to ask, and that is, where do things stand now legally in Canada 
with respect to both assisted suicide and medical termination since it's been legal for some period of time? Yes, we have had these things legal for six years now, just over six years. And at this point, we are close to having one in 20 deaths in Canada from medical termination. Almost no one chooses assisted suicide. You can access that. You can take pills if you wish, but you need to have someone watching you while you do that. So most people prefer to just have the lethal injection. And it's a lot more certain that it's going to happen. And it also removes you, removes the patient from the equation a bit more. It's almost as though, well, this is just another procedure that I'm submitting myself to. I'm not actually making the decision. It's quite interesting that in jurisdictions where there is only assisted suicide, although the, the raw numbers have increased, the percentage of deaths have usually stayed between 0.2 to 0.3% of overall deaths. In Canada, as I said before, within six years, we're up to almost 5% or one in 20 people. And so if there is a way to oppose, I know that there's always this push to change the law so that you can have a lethal injection as well as the pills. But I would push very hard against that because it seems that if a person has to have some agency in what is happening, there is a lot more thought that goes into it rather than, oh, I'm just going to call the doctor and he or she will come and do this. And it's almost like the person feels ethically off the hook somehow. It's just part of my medical care. And that's something that we really need to fight back against. Originally, when the law came in, there was a 10-day, what they called reflection period. We tried hard to get conscience protection for physicians in the actual law. It was not in the law, it was only in the preamble. And we have had a number of jurisdictions where the things that are happening in California have happened to our members. And you can lose your license in those provinces if you don't provide that information. There is a push as well right now by the what I call the medical termination evangelists to make it so that it is a requirement for physicians to inform patients who might qualify that this is one of their options. At the moment, the law has been changed about a year ago. There is no requirement at all for any reflection period. So mm -hmm. technically, you could be diagnosed with a terminal cancer in the morning and have termination if you could get through the paperwork by the afternoon with no chance for reflection. At first, the law said that you needed to have a condition that had a reasonably foreseeable death. There wasn't a, a number of months in it, but that was challenged in the courts and they was lost in the courts and the federal government decided not to appeal it. So they had to rewrite the law 
And so now what we have is sort of a two-tiered system that someone whose death is reasonably foreseeable could have a same-day termination, and someone whose death is not reasonably foreseeable, the, the Supreme Court decision said that it had to be irremediable, grievous, that kind of thing, but they didn't define that. And it was only as it applied as to the person feeling that it was grievous and irremediable and caused intolerable suffering. And it could be a disability under the Supreme Court decision as well. It didn't have to be an illness. So what came in was that if you had all those things and you could be thought to be terminal very soon, you could get it immediately. If you did not, let's say you had diabetes or you had rheumatoid arthritis or chronic kidney disease or any of those things, then you had to wait 90 days. And you had to have a specialist who was familiar with your condition or your situation sign off that you qualified for the irremediable part of it. Now, this is a little bit disconcerting because referral in Canada can sometimes take you months and months, uh, up to a year to get a referral, whereas you can be gone in 90 days. And then the other thing that was brought in by the newer law is that if you would qualify for euthanasia or MAID or medical termination, if you would qualify for that, that you could, even if you lose capacity, it could be carried out on a date in the future that you have determined, even if you have lost capacity, because you did agree to it or ask for it before you lost your capacity. And there's this little thing in the law about, well, if the person is fighting you when you try to do this, that you're not supposed to go ahead with it. But, you know, that's kind of uh, sort of useless, really, in a, in a way. And so right now what it is, is that you have to only wait 90 days, whereas if you have some other kind of a serious illness that you you don't have to wait. This is a real problem, especially as the law had this sort of sunset clause in it that said two years afterward, they were going to make medical termination available for people with only psychiatric or psychological diagnoses. So the waiting list for really intense inpatient psychiatric help can be up to two years, but you can be dead in 90 days. So there's so much about of the inequity with this that it just almost boggles the mind. The other piece to this is that when medical termination was, was legalized, was taken out of the category of murder, which it was before, and legalized, it became part of the right of a Canadian to have access to this. It's part of the Canada Health Act. However, palliative care and living with dignity for people who are living with disabilities are not part of that. So the the inequity in this is horrific. Margaret, you briefly brought in conscience protections, but I'm curious because of our case in California, are physicians in Canada who object conscientiously, are they forced to make a referral for either assisted suicide or medical termination? Well, 
This is something that is different from province to province because it's not a national issue. So there are several provinces in Canada which do require doctors who have patients ask them about it to make an effective referral, to send the patient along to a physician whom they know will be willing to make it happen. But other provinces don't. Here in British Columbia, I don't have to make an effective referral. The issue here is that it's become so normal in our society that at the beginning we were we were trying to get people to say no healthcare professional should ever bring this up to a patient. And I think that's probably true if you've got a society where it's rare. However, it's so pervasive here and so romanticized by our legacy media that I actually do sometimes bring it up with my palliative patients in the sense of saying, I'm supposing that you've heard about, and I'll use the term made then because that's what's in the media. I'm supposing that you've heard about made, and I'm here to tell you that that's not the only way that you can die a dignified death or that I, maybe if the person is, is one of my patients, I will say that's not the only path that's open to us. We have lots of ways that we can help you, and we don't have to go down that path. The distressing part about this and how it's been normalized in Canada is that, for example, I have a, a colleague who's a Christian emergency room doctor, and one of his colleagues said to him, I think all of us in the ER should become certified as made assessors so that if someone comes in who's just had a stroke or something like that, that we can do the first assessment when the person comes in and then we can call the made team down and the person doesn't even ever have to go home or be admitted to hospital if that's what they really want. Now, whatever happened to exploring why a person might want to end his or her life. It's breathtaking. There was a CME, a continuing medical education credit that one could get through the University of British Columbia that came out right about the time that my colleagues and I wrote an article for the World Medical Journal called The Normalization of Euthanasia in Canada. And in this, this little CME credit was, it was titled Normalizing Made for Children. And the woman who wrote it talked about how she is, I think she does palliative care as well, but that she is a maid provider. And that's one place where I do call it a provider. She is a maid provider. And when she goes out to a house where there are children, she put, lays out all her syringes and her tools. And she says, if the adults around will normalize it, the children will learn to normalize it too. So she puts all these things on the table and she calls the children and she says, these are the things that I'm going to use to help your loved one die. Do you have any questions about them? And then after she's done the termination, she says she refuses to call the person grandma or mother or by a name because now it's just the body. Hmm. It's not that person. So it's kind of breathtaking that this is something that we're wanting to do. There are children's books being written about the last week and how lovely it can be. 
I can't even express to you how this has gone into every nook and cranny of our society here. There is a church in Winnipeg who brought a patient who was a parishioner of theirs into their sanctuary, set up the medical termination there, had a little service, did the termination in the sanctuary of the church, and then had a reception in their fellowship hall type place. And it was was reported and seemed to be wonderful, all romanticized. It's very sad. I just was part of an article in a Canadian Christian magazine called Faith Today. And my colleague, John Scott, and I were interviewed about how this was affecting physicians and the lament and the, the sadness that we have about this and what we think we're losing in our culture because of this. And in the same issue, there was a letter to the editor from a lady who was recommending a book by the number one medical termination evangelist in Canada and saying, oh, and, and that she had been present at two of her friends who had had their pastors there when they had the termination, and it was so lovely, and it was so peaceful, and all the you know Christians should think about this. And I was like, oh my gosh, we've got so much work to do, even within the church. This is a Christian magazine, and this woman is, I'm assuming, is a Christian who's writing, and she has gotten to the place where she's been drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, Margaret, I'm going to ask you to just for a few minutes shift directions and remember that you're speaking to our members, all healthcare professionals. And now that you've been involved in the assisted suicide and medical termination here in Canada <laughs> for six years, what would you say to our members who are in states where it's still illegal in terms of getting engaged in policy and advocacy against this? How would you speak to them, even if they aren't involved in a specialty like palliative care? Well, I can tell you that even if you're not involved in a specialty like palliative care, it's coming for you. <laughs> and we need to get involved. My husband, the ophthalmologist, is waiting for the first patient who has macular degeneration, who may have to go into a care facility because he or she can't stay at home to say, I don't want to do that. I'm legally blind now. I'd rather be dead. So this idea that somehow our specialty is going to be insulated or isolated from it, it's just not going to happen. All of these chronic conditions, there's not a single specialty or subspecialty that doesn't have a chronic condition associated with it. It's also being introduced for children here in Canada at the end of that one-year waiting period. It's also, it looks like it's going to come by advanced directive at some point. So everybody's going to be involved. I think this is a fight for the heart of medicine. And we all have to be involved. Even if the only thing that you do <laughs> is to stop saying PAS or stop saying euthanasia and say medical termination and assisted suicide so that you do that Alexander Solzhenitsyn lived not by lies that you you actually stand up with your colleagues and you say this is not a great idea maybe even just saying some of the things that I've shared about what's lost in this that could be something that could be helpful I can tell you from personal experience that CMDA runs an excellent media training 
sign up for it. It's really worth it. And it can help you even if you're just talking to people in the doctor's lounge. It can help you in speaking to your church. I know that this is a difficult topic and that it has a lot of nuance in it. But from what I've been telling you and what I've experienced, you can start in your own church and make a big difference. I have spoken sometimes after it was legal in Canada about the dangers and how we as what we can do as church members. And I'll get someone that'll come up to me afterward and say, wow, that really sounds terrible. I hope we never get that in Canada when it's already legal here. <laughs> so people don't understand what's happening. We read as a, uh, we had a book study at our church last summer with Carl Truman's book talking about the rise and triumph of the modern self and the things that he talks about in that book. And the very highly educated people in our congregation didn't believe some of the things he was saying. And it took the doctors in the group saying, yes, this has been here for a long time. And we have been seeing this. So just speaking up, even if all you're doing is asking your church to pray, those things are very, very important. Start with the people that you're comfortable with. I mean, you don't have to go on MSNBC and state your views as the place that you start. Starting with your own family, starting with inviting somebody like me. I do everything for free and I can zoom in any place. If it's maybe you've got a group practice and you want me to come and talk about this kind of thing. I'm happy to do that. There are other people in CMDA that are happy to do this kind of thing. Get yourself informed. Have a few good talking points about it. Um, I, the CMDA idea of the what's your elevator speech? You know, you've got 30 seconds. What do you say in those 30 seconds? How can you be winsome? How can you ask a question, as Dr. John Patrick would say, instead of making a statement? I think those things are important. The other piece to this is that the Hippocratic tradition, to me, is like an old growth forest. And you can easily get rid of it, but you don't get it back. Mm -hmm. And as Margaret Somerville has kind of paraphrased me, she said, we are just as responsible for our metaphysical environment as we are for our physical environment. And I think that that's what we're passing along to our children. It's going to be how our children and our grandchildren die and how they live and what kind of a society they're a part of. And all of us need to be involved in that. And so recruiting people into that kind of a, a situation by just helping them to get informed within your church. If you don't feel comfortable doing it yourself, get somebody to come and help you. There's lots of resources that are out there that can help you with that. But don't stand by because you'll end up with what we have here in Canada yeah. and definitely fight against medical termination in terms of lethal injection. Do not go down that road. Every jurisdiction where that has been the way that things have come in, it's been an exponential growth instead of incremental growth. Well, Dr. Cottle, we've run out of time today on CMDA Matters. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you for the way that you've educated, encouraged, and equipped us today uh, and our listeners to deal with the issue of medical termination and assisted suicide. And thanks, Jeff, also for joining us today. Yeah, I found this very informative. I've, I've learned a lot. So thank you so much, Dr. Cottle. Thank you very much for having me. And I just encourage all of our members to put on that whole armor of God in Ephesians 6 and stand firm.
Well, after listening to the passion that Dr. Cottle has shared with us today, I'm even more certain that God has called us to stand strong and courageous against assisted suicide. This campaign to legalize assisted suicide is simply too dangerous for our culture and our nation. It's not about giving patients the right to die, but it is about giving healthcare professionals the right to kill. The American Medical Association agrees, as the AMA states in its own ethics statement, that physician-assisted suicide is fundamentally incompatible with the physician's role as healer, that it would be difficult or impossible to control, and it would pose serious societal risks. I am so thankful for healthcare professionals like Dr. Cottle, who know there are better alternatives, such as training more palliative care physicians, modifying existing laws, promoting hospice, and so, so much more. It is our duty to stand up and speak this truth in our hospitals, in our clinics, and in our state legislatures. Before it's too late and we find ourselves in the same situation that Canada finds itself in now. I don't think that she was being melodramatic when Dr. Cottle said, it's coming for you and we need to get involved. This is a fight for the heart of medicine. Individual specialties are not going to be isolated if assisted suicide becomes more widely accepted across our nation. One of the ways that you can get involved is to join our advocacy efforts. You heard Dr. Barrows briefly share about the lawsuit we brought against the state of California. I have no doubt that we will face this same situation in many other states around the country. If you'd like to join our efforts in your individual state to stand up for life and to protect the healthcare profession against these dangers of assisted suicide and medical termination, then just contact our advocacy team using the email address advocacy at cmda.org. If you'd like to hear more about the condition of healthcare in Canada, I want to encourage you to check out a recent podcast from the producers of The World and Everything in It that's called Double Take. Episode two of this podcast series is called A Well-Rounded Fear, and it shares the story of a Canadian physician who felt so threatened by the laws in his own country that he fled to the United States in order to ensure that his right of conscience would be protected. You'll even hear a familiar voice when you listen, as Dr. Jeff Barrows was interviewed for this podcast as well. You can find the link to this podcast in our show notes today. And incidentally, some of you are aware, but I wanted to let you know that our own Dr. Barrows is in the hospital at Ohio State University, having just received a bone marrow transplant this week after receiving intensive chemotherapy for a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I know his family in Ohio and his family here at CMDA well, we covet your prayers for Jeff and his complete recovery and total remission. During our interview, you heard me mention the article that Dr. Cottle recently wrote for CMDA Today, our quarterly magazine. Her article is from the spring 2022 edition of the magazine and is entitled, Professional, Not Provider, Please. It is her plea for those of us in healthcare to reconsider using that word, provider. We are not healthcare providers, we are healthcare professionals. 
The word provider has become a common term in our profession, but it actually weakens our Hippocratic tradition and turns patients into consumers of the healthcare services that we offer. It encourages our patients to think that they have the right to come to us and receive whatever treatment that they want as though we were vending machines. I know that it may seem like a small distinction, but it is permeating the moral and ethical issues of healthcare in today's environment. I've committed to removing that word provider from my vocabulary, and I hope that you will too. You can check out this article and others from the magazine at cmda.org cmda today. For those of you who'd like to learn more about assisted suicide and its dangers, our ethics statement on physician-assisted suicide is available for you on our website at cmda.org ethics. And there are several courses in our CMDA Learning Center about assisted suicide that you can take advantage of too. All the courses in our Learning Center are free for our members. You can find those at cmda.org learning. Dr. Cottle briefly mentioned Dr. Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. If you haven't yet gotten your copy of this book, now is the time. You'll find this book as well as his newest book, which is called Strange New World, in the CMDA bookstore at cmda.org bookstore. One final resource to recommend to you is our Bridging the Gap small group study. We are called to be advocates for God's word and we're also called to speak truth into ethical issues and courageously stand up for what's morally right according to our beliefs. But in order to engage others in these discussions with grace and kindness, first we need to arm ourselves with knowledge and understanding of each of these topics. That's why we created Bridging the Gap. This study is your opportunity to talk about issues like assisted suicide and conscience rights and even gender issues with your church small group, with your Sunday school class, and with others. It is filled with difficult, thought-provoking questions about the ethical issues facing Christians today. It's available for free, so just visit cmda.org slash bridging the gap to download it today. Well, that's about it this week on CMDA Matters, but be sure to listen next week for a discussion with Dr. Regina Frost-Clark. She is an amazing woman of faith whom we honored earlier this year with our CMDA President's Heritage Award. She's joining me next week to talk about her work as an OBGYN in Detroit and her leadership within CMDA's Women Physicians and Dentists in Christ Ministry. I'd like to close this week's episode with some wisdom from King Solomon that's found in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 10 and 11, where Solomon says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. There is no question that we are facing a difficult road ahead in healthcare, friends. Now is the time to stand up and to protect our patients and to protect our profession from the dangers of assisted suicide and medical termination. Will you join us? 
By doing so, you will be bringing the hope and healing of Christ to our world. That's what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters. We'll see you next week, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.